to Vegan Boss Radio, where we will be talking about all things related to business, health, and lifestyle. We connect with passionate vegans from around the world so they can share their stories, challenges, and what it's like to navigate being vegan in a non-vegan world. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Vegan Boss Radio. Um, Megan is away today, unfortunately, but I have an amazing guest with me today. Um, so I'm interviewing Danielle Arsenault. She is a certified raw food chef, educator, cookbook author, nutrition and life- lifestyle coach, outdoors enthusiast, and founder of the Raw Food Chef Alliance and Pacha Vega Living Foods Education. She earned her advanced raw food chef and educator certificate through the Raw Foundation Culinary Arts Institute in Vancouver and also the Anne Wigmore Institute in Puerto Rico and has a Bachelor of Education degree from the Master of Teaching program through the University of Calgary. That is a lot of schooling. <laughs> oh, and I think I need more. I always need more, you know. Lifelong yeah. learner right here too. Absolutely. I I mean, if you're not learning, if you're not always learning, you know, what are you doing? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Thank you for that introduction. Yeah. Um, So actually, Danielle and I go back, I don't know how many years now, but I was working at Raw Foundation when you were taking courses there. So I think that's how we first met. Yeah, it was, I think, eight years or or maybe even nine years ago now. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I was in Vancouver, and that was, you know, that catalyst of wanting to learn more. Um, after I wrote four cookbooks, I felt like, okay, I really need to learn more about the nutrition side of things, and I really need to learn and have more of a, a formal education, formal chef training education. I was just so passionate at the time, and oh, I still am. But yeah, we met there and you were one of the instructors and then, you know, small world as it, as it is, I, I was uh, doing a lot of rock climbing on Vancouver Island and I was climbing with your brother from time to time. So that was kind of cool too. So small world. (laughs) Definitely. So how did you get into like writing cookbooks and raw food after doing like a bachelor of education? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, Honestly, I've always been a teacher. Like the teacher part of me is is my greatest passion. Um, and I've always been a teacher. You know, I can watch these little videos of myself as a child, totally like taking over the camera. Um, I suppose that's still in me. And, uh, you know, having a theater degree first and then going into the education program afterwards, I knew I always wanted to be a teacher. But the subject matter that I was teaching um, after I graduated, English and English as a second language, it wasn't, that wasn't my passion. So when I discovered just the amazing world of plant-based foods when I went vegan, I was completely blown away by the flavor profiles, by just the variety possible. Mm -hmm. And I was really inspired by Mexican cooking and by South Korean cooking and food and basically I wrote these four cookbooks with a neighbor of mine and 
after that, I thought, okay, this is, this is the passion. This is what I want to do. I want to teach about food. I want to teach about how food can be so amazingly delicious and so incredibly healthy and nutritious at the same time. And I really found that bridging that gap between healthy food and tasty food was super important, but then to bridge it with the idea of nutrition so that it sticks, you know, and you don't, you don't just eat the food because you know, it's healthy. You eat the food because you, it's tasty, you know, it's healthy and you know exactly what it does for your body and how it can help you. And I find that that helps people really embrace the plant-based lifestyle um, a lot more because there's, there's a depth to it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when did you go vegan and what made you decide to go vegan? Well, so, okay. I, you know, as everyone, it's kind of a long story, but so when I was about 17 years old, I was in high school and a friend of mine was, had turned vegetarian and that resonated with me because I never really liked the smell of like animal products cooking. I never liked the smell of like ground beef cooking. I thought it it was quite re- like repulsing to me. I just really didn't like it. I remember having to like leave the house number on a number of occasions. If my mo- mom was like cooking up ground beef or something for hamburger, I would have to leave the house because I couldn't stand the smell. So when my friend said, oh, like I'm vegetarian. I was like, what's that? Oh, you mean that's a thing? Like I can choose to not eat meat and, and it's called something. I was like, okay, that's me. I'm a vegetarian. So, um, you know, this may be a common story too, but like as a vegetarian, I, I wasn't necessarily a healthy vegetarian. I ate a lot of quesadillas uh, with a lot of cheese and I had a lot of eggs still. Um, which is funny because even the word vegetarian, I mean, cheese and eggs aren't vegetables. So it's funny that we include those in the, in the terminology of a vegetarian, but, but true enough, I did have, you know, I was eating cheese and was eating eggs and it, um, I mean, I still had, I had like slight health complications, you know, and as far as like being in my twenties, you know, at that point you shouldn't have health complications and really it was major like digestive distress. So when I got it tested, they called it IBS, uh, irritable bowel syndrome at the time, um, which to me meant they don't really know what's wrong. So they're just going to like give you this blanket term. Um, and they gave zero advice on how to fix it. And in fact, they didn't even, it was, it was nothing. It was like, you have this thing, good luck. See you later. And at that point I was like, okay, what do I do now? You know, what do I do now? And it still took a while though, from like getting that um, diagnosis to, to actually, you know, turning into a plant-based whole foods diet. Um, And yeah, I basically, I was introduced to the people for the ethical treatment of animals um, in about 2005 and that was when I had moved to Mexico. So I was a vegetarian eating cheese and eggs. I moved to Mexico to teach English after my after I got my education degree. And I started rock climbing at the same time. And a lot of people told me, you cannot be vegetarian and, and grow muscles. You can't be strong, rock that climb, eat <laughs> right? Yeah. You need animals for protein. And I said, but I don't know if I agree with that. I mean, there's got to be people out in the world that don't like 
to want to, they don't want to eat meat and they're athletes, like there has to be. So that led me down this path of curiosity of, is this true? Like, are there athletes out there that are, are eating a vegetarian or vegan diet? Um, and so, the, so it was actually like two things that sparked that it was the rock climbing, but then it was also seeing, um, you know, animals in factory farms for the first time and sort of grasping the concept that 90 plus percent of our animal agriculture is in factory farms. And I just instantly was like, I don't want to be a part of that. I don't want to contribute to that. I don't want to contribute to the needless you know, suffering of animals just because I want to eat them sometimes, like that doesn't, didn't make sense to me. Um, and so basically right then and there, I decided to go vegan and I cut out all uh, cheese, eggs. I even gave away leather, all my leather boots, leather belts, all my feathers, like down jackets, um, you know, even wool. Um, and I just, I gave it all away. And I said, I'm starting from scratch and I'm starting from scratch and I'm going to live my life in a way that supports the health and wellness of animals versus their demise. And um, yeah, so it was a little bit extreme, but that was the way in which kind of I went and, and that's what worked for me. And you know, many people have the journey or they go on their journey and they have their story of turning plant-based and it's different for everybody. But for me, it was it was the animals at first. And then the more research I did because of, you know, wanting to be like a strong rock climber um, and I progressed really fast in the sport. So I, I was stoked, you know, I was like climbing hard things and, you know, people were shocked that I'd only been climbing for a short period of time. And then um, but then all these comments on how I couldn't eat that food and be strong like I wanted to. So I'd started doing the research. And then very soon I realized that it wasn't just about cutting out animal products. It was about adding nutrient dense whole foods and a huge variety of them. And that's what would build my strength and my muscles. And indeed there were hundreds, if not thousands, you know, if not tens of thousands of plant-based athletes out there and not only were they like doing well, they were killing it. They were winning their sports. Um, I could give you examples, you know, like Scott Jurek, ultra marathon runner, like he is incredible and he has records. Um, you know, even Carl Lewis, the sprinter, uh, Venus Williams, Mike Tyson, um, Mac Danzig. I mean, there's just so many plant-based athletes out there that are are surpassing their, you know, meat eating um, competition. And, you know, with less recovery time, uh, less inflammation, with more happiness, more energy. So I thought, okay, this is it. This is for me. This is, it all makes sense. And then I learned about the environmental benefits of going plant-based. And I was like, oh my God, like this is totally the right move for me was plant-based whole foods um, coupled with this consciousness of where my food comes from you know so the, the story I always tell my students you know what is the backstory of your food so you know who planted it who packed it who brought it to the store you know all the steps that have been involved and you know is it locally grown is it seasonal all these questions started 
to connect me deeper and deeper to the food I ate. And I basically just knew from that moment forward that I could be the teacher that I always wanted to be and teach and share a subject matter that I was passionate about that I truly believe in and know that I can make a difference in the world, in people's lives, in people's health, in people's energy, even in their happiness. I feel like when you eat well and you get the nutrients that your body craves and that it needs, you you actually will be happier because of the serotonin that you're getting from the chocolate or, you know, the, just all the, everything that you need for your body to thrive, you get through a whole food plant-based diet. And because of that, you know, your mental state is clearer, you're sharper, you have more focus, uh, you have more drive, passion, ambition, like it just basically makes your life better. Mm-hmm. And I believe it, it's worked for me. And I'm so happy to be able to share it with, you know, my hundreds of students and see the results and see them thriving and getting excited. And it makes every long night, every, you know, countless hour of like learning and adding all that information to my memory bank. And sometimes there's some struggle in there, you know, and potential failure. But because I know that I'm making a difference in other people's lives, it makes it worth it. And it makes me keep going. Definitely. Story short. (laughs) (laughs) No, I love it. So interesting. Everyone's story is so different. Um, So I love hearing it each time. I to that point about like knowing where your food comes from. I saw a quote just yesterday or the day before. And I was like, you think veganism is extreme. And yet when I Google how your food is made, like meat products, it comes with graphic warning, uh, graphic content warnings. <laughs> so like, what's really extreme there? Oh, yeah. Eating vegetables or? Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and there's so many other quotes, you know, like the, the famous yeah. quote that Paul McCartney said, he said, if uh, mm-hmm. slaughterhouses had glass walls, everybody would be vegan. Right. Oh, yeah. Because if we really knew the process, Mm -hmm. why would you want to be involved, really? I mean, and not only for the animals, but even the workers. The workers, it's like the most horrendous conditions. And those people, you know, such violence, you know, how does that, how is that serving them in their lives at all, you know? So if you're a humanitarian, you'd be a vegan, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, just for their own sake of their own human rights. And what is it? Something like 60 billion animals are are slaughtered a day in the United States alone. Um, Yeah, all the numbers. I know it's 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 a very high, like mind boggling number. That's Mm -hmm. you know per day. You know, pigs, chicken, cows included. Um, And you know the people that have to like do that work. You know, ooh, not fun. So no, they often don't have a lot of choices. And so they're just kind of stuck doing mm-hmm. that, unfortunately. Immigrants, yeah. immigrants, um, you know, it's a poor pay, poor conditions, you know. So yeah, it's like if you're not if you don't if you're not vegan for the animals, you you know, maybe think about those people as well. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Um, so you were in like living in Mexico when you decided to go vegan? Yeah, yeah. I lived in Monterrey in Monterrey, Nuevo León for three years as an English teacher. Um, Again, you know, teaching, loved it. And it was my first job right out of uh, university. So I was like super stoked and passionate. And I 
put, you know, a thousand percent of myself into that job and had a great time doing it. But, you know, after the three years, I realized that the subject matter wasn't the passion that I was um, following. And I started to become more and more interested in food and more and more interested in like the nutrition behind the food, but mostly like the flavor profiles and, and learning how to cook, basically learning how to cook was like really exciting to me. And I wanted to share that knowledge with people. Was it difficult like eating out or were you making most of your food at home at that time? I think even the tortillas in the North have like lard in them and stuff. Yes, yes. No, yes, exactly. I had to pretty much make everything on my own. And so that was where the beginnings of the learning started. It's like, okay, well, here I am now in a foreign country with my new, um, you know, my new diet. Well, how, what am I going to do? You know? Yeah, exactly. If you go out, you know, do these beans have lard in them? Yes. Yes, yes, they do. I was like, oh no, I don't want that though. (laughs) Um, So it was like, even like your like beans, you know, bean tortilla or bean taco that's, you know, lard in the, in the tortilla, lard in the beans, um, you know, not something that I was interested in, but so yeah. How do you get around that? Well, you start to make it yourself. And so there was definitely a period of time where I wasn't eating the best variety and, you know, it was kind of limited in my scope. Um, and so, so eating out was, it, it didn't happen that often. Right. Um, but actually nowadays, I think there's something, there's over a hundred vegan restaurants in Mexico city. Like Mexico is a huge hub for plant-based eating, which I think is so cool to see. Yeah, I think uh, even right now, because my Spanish teacher is from there. Oh, well, wow. she, she lives there. Like we do our Spanish lessons over um, like online. Cool. But yeah, we were talking about veganism. And so I, I went on Happy Cow with her and we looked up like there's actually quite a few fully vegan restaurants in Monterey now. And yeah, wow. everywhere I've been in Mexico, there's like choices now. So that's nice mm-hmm. to see that like changing. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, back then, not very many options. And so it was either, you know, eat limited variety going out, which, you know, can still be the option uh, nowadays, depending on where you're at, or learn how to cook. And, Mm -hmm. you know, as soon as I had that sort of little taste of like making my own food and making it taste so good, and then having to eat at the restaurants, and then it not being very good, being like really kind of like subpar, being like, oh, I know how to make this better. That was like the seed that was planted that made me eventually decide to go to cooking school, to, to study, to become a chef because it just, yeah, I just, I like, I knew I needed more information and I knew I needed more variety. And um, it took me a while to finally get there. I think, so that was like in 2005. And it wasn't until 2012 that I actually formally studied um, plant-based nutrition and and the raw food chef training. Um, But in those years, I learned so much. And moving to South Korea, that was like explosion of a whole new culture, a whole new variety of foods, uh, foods I'd never tasted or tried before, including kimchi so my introduction to like fermented foods and and aged fermented foods um and doenjang which is uh like the korean equivalent of miso and yeah it was like 
always like, oh my gosh, like what is all this? And then there was a market really close to my house. And in Korea, they, they don't do a lot of uh, importing. So it's basically seasonal. So you kind of are like forced to eat seasonally. And most people shop at outdoor markets, not in the grocery store. Um, And yeah, and that was it. It was like, okay, there's 50 kinds of mushrooms. Let's try them all. Have a little bit of everything. Oh, there's, you know, 40 types of kimchi. Some of them have shrimp in them. Some of them don't. Okay, I'll have those ones. You know, so it was... Yeah, it wasn't until Korea that my like love for food really, really exploded. And eating vegan in Korea was actually quite easy because most, besides like a, like fish stock, but I learned how to ask about that really soon. Um, most vegan or most Korean foods are vegan sort of as the base. So that made it very easy. Um, yeah, coupled with like having a neighbor who was like an amazing home cook and, you know, super inspirational food photographer, it just like kicked it all off for me. So that's who you wrote the cookbooks with. Yeah, Jessica Perlasa. So she is, uh, she's an amazing, amazing person. She's a mama of two now. Uh, we wrote four cookbooks together called The Kitchens of Pigeon Dash. And actually, the funny thing is this year, it's the 10th anniversary I can't believe it's been so long. So we're going to, I'm going to relaunch the whole series uh, starting in September of this year um, as a PDF um, downloadable ebook. So yeah, so there's four, four copies, four, um, four cookbooks, and they're all based on seasonal foods uh, in Korea, basically, but most foods you can find in North America. And the photography is incredible. Um, they have a very like homespun look about them and yeah, I'm really excited about that. So yeah, once I started making those cookbooks, like that was it. I like, I needed to know more. And so that made me eventually go to school to study nutrition and, and, um, raw food culinary arts. And then you went to the Anne Wigmore Institute after you were in Vancouver. Before actually. Before, okay. Yeah, so basically leaving Korea, I went to Puerto Rico and I, actually this is the part, this is a great part of the story because this is what inspired me to do what I'm doing today. Um, I went to the Anne Wigmore Institute in Puerto Rico, which is a healing institute and it's uh, based on raw living foods. Uh, Anne Wigmore herself, she was a proponent of raw living foods. She's the one who sort of brought wheatgrass to the world, uh, wheatgrass juice. And, and just like a advocate of sprouts and sprouting and all things living. So I studied there for three weeks and I earned a living foods lifestyle education certificate. But after the end of those three weeks, like reflecting upon the food, you know, it, I got such an amazing, deep understanding of the nutrition, but very uninspired by the food. Um, now saying that the food is absolutely the most nutritious food that you could possibly eat, but was it delicious? I don't know if you would say it was delicious. You, you would say it was very healthy, right? And people who love food would love it because they know, you know, it's like the same thing. I love it. When I eat it, I know I can feel it nourishing my body. It's amazing. But is it sustainable for the majority of the population? No. So then I was inspired. Okay. I love it. I love the nutrition behind it. I love 
you know, but can we make this food taste better? And that's what inspired me to study at the Roth Foundation Culinary Institute because I wanted to know how to make the food taste good. And so then I learned so much about how the food tasted good, but I also found that with that training, it was very focused on the gourmet and a lot of steps involved. Um, you know, some of the recipes were quite simple, but some of them could be a little bit more complicated. And then again, there was this question of, but, you know, is this sustainable? And can people eat 100% raw all the time? Um, which I did for a very long period of time, but eventually it wasn't sustainable for me. But then I was like, okay, my teacher inside of me just lit up and said, I am going to bring these two concepts together. This concept of nutrition, this concept of super healthy, amazing food, and this concept of gourmet, delicious raw food. And I'm going to marry these two things. And it's going to be my own, you know, proprietary course that I create. And that's what I, that's what I still do today. So eight years later, um, I'm sharing the nutrition behind the food, but also how to make it taste good. Um, and then there's also, I also have like a, a bonus module in my course that focuses on cooked foods. So it's mostly raw, but then also introducing this idea of like, you know, maybe you can't be hundred percent raw. Maybe you don't want to be hundred percent raw. So can you still eat super nutritious, healthy foods, um, but also include cooked foods in this? And that's sort of where I'm at now. And that's how I eat my diet. It's probably about 80% raw, um, 20% cooked, ideally on the best of days. Um, and that gives me a really good balance and, you know, sustainable. Like I feel like I can do this like forever now. Um, but the 100% raw, always, you know, making all the dehydrated foods, always doing your own sprouts and everything like that. Um, over a period of two years, it was laborious and it was my, it was my, you know, sole duty. <laughs> I spent a lot of time in the kitchen and that's how I learned so much and how I feel like I'm super confident in what I do now because of that hands-on practice. Um, yeah. So that's kind of how I got to where I'm at. <laughs> yeah, that's so cool. Um, it's funny, like I, I spent years teaching like raw food classes as well, but I was never fully raw. Um, so I'd always explain that at the start of my classes and be like, you know, I'm like, I want you to know, like you don't have to eat 100% raw. And I just wanna show you raw recipes because I feel like they're really flavorful and creative and can kind of like open up your eyes to like what is possible with like flavors and textures and everything um but there's nothing wrong with cooked beans I mean we can't eat raw beans and raw grains and even like starchy veggies I much prefer those cooked like over raw um mm -hmm. so yeah it's nice that everyone can kind of like find the own, their own balance. Like 80-20 works for you. Other people might be like a little bit more cooked food and probably depends on like where I am right now is super cold and where you are, <laughs> very hot. Yes, I'm sweating <laughs> you sitting here. want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I've got my, uh, my papaya lime juice right here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah fresh papayas, I'm so jealous. Mm-hmm. 
Mm, yum yum. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So so I've um I've actually moved to Nicaragua. Mm-hmm. Um, for years I was teaching my courses and classes from Airbnbs, toting around you know eight totes full of like two Vitamixes, two dehydrators, you know all the all oh. the cutlery and tools and everything. And after doing it for like six years, um, I finally have a place to call home, Pacha Vega to call home. And it's, uh, it's at a place called Wanderlust Utopia. And uh, the amazing uh, Chris Ketch, my partner, husband, partner in life, father of my child, he is the visionary behind this amazing place. And together we've made it come together. And um, it's a plant-based eco-wellness retreat for health and wellness um, opportunities. And yeah, it's it's where I live now. Um, and I guess my home base, you know, and even though I'm Canadian and I'll, I'll always will be Canadian and, you know, spend, let's say 50, 50, 50, like ideally 50% here, 50% yeah. there. Um, but this, I feel more connected to here and like, you know, actually I have a house here and yeah, it just feels like this is the place for me right now. And I've been really lucky to, to be here and, you know, being here over the last few years, or coming and going, I suppose, mm-hmm. I have noticed that the Nicaraguan people generally uh, eat a very uh, limited diet as far as variety goes, and even vegetables, like it's, they don't eat greens, okay, okay. so there's no like, no spinach, well, that's not true, but I'll just say generally, okay, generally, there's not a lot of spinach on the plate, um, you know, kale doesn't exist here. Arugula doesn't exist. Of course, like in pockets, you can find it. Um, but that's what inspired me to basically grow a massive garden and food forest. And even though I'd love to say that I did it all myself, absolutely did not. <laughs> in fact, I don't feel like I really have a green thumb. It's not that I don't have a green thumb. It's that I you can't learn to be an expert in everything, right? So I focus yeah. on being the expert in making the food taste good. So we've brought in an expert, Francois Legault. He is a our Quebecois food forest master, and he's basically created these amazing gardens with all of his permaculture knowledge and built us these food forests. And it will take time for everything to grow, of course, but we have like something like 60 different varieties of vegetable you know, like five different types of pumpkin. Um, it's just a massive variety and all that can grow in a tropical climate. So I've learned so much about food, about different food being here and actually I almost feel like a newbie again, which is why I think I mentioned at the beginning, like learning and like, you know, it never ends because now I'm here in Nicaragua and like all of a sudden I have all these new foods to learn about. Uh, and learn how to prepare them properly and how the locals do it. And, you know, don't eat the skin of that squash because it's horrible and you'll just end up like picking it off and spitting it out, which hey, happened like hey. a couple weeks ago. Um, yeah. And I mean, have you ever heard of a cucumber tree? It's, it's, it's this crazy, there's a, it's a crazy tree. It's just right over here. I can see it from where I'm sitting and um, it, I'll describe it. It's like, it's, it's a beautiful tree. And it's related to the star fruit and these cucumber looking 
star fruit looking except for not they're not a shape of star they're in the shape of a cucumber but they grow off the branches so not like off the leaves they grow off the trunk of the tree kind of like cacao does in spurts and they're like these super sour um fruit fruits yeah. vegetable i don't know so it's like just that as one example is something that i still don't know much about um yeah. We eat it raw. We chop it up in like our pico de gallo or anywhere it needs like a little sour explosion. Um, yeah, you could substitute like any lemon or apple cider vinegar with this fruit. It's absolutely incredible. But yeah, how, how does it help my body? I don't know yet. <laughs> I mean, I know that it's alkaline um, for sure because of its acidity content um, in a fruit, but I yeah, otherwise I, I still have a lot to learn and that's really exciting to me because I'm sort of just starting that journey. And like, mm -hmm. I've got like cacao growing, you know, down the road and there's nopales and there's tamarindo, tamarind. Um, and it's just, it's it's amazing, it's amazing. So, so hmm. um, your neighboring farms, because I think you mentioned you're in like a kind of a farming community. Are they more like they're just growing like mass amounts of one type of food? Yes, okay. exactly. Yeah. And and the crazy thing too is, um, as an example, you know, like there's a tobacco field. Okay. Tobacco, highly, highly um, chemical, you know, full of chemicals, full of all the stuff, right? All the sides, you know, herbicides, pesticides, fungicides, herbicides, all that stuff. Um and then the next season, they're going to grow sesame. Okay. Um, and like nearly 100% of the sesame is exported for McDonald's hamburger buns. Oh. So we have this incredibly nutrient-dense seed. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's exported for McDonald's hamburger buns. The people eating McDonald's hamburger buns probably don't even realize that there's sesame seeds on the buns. Yeah. And <laughs> they certainly don't realize that those are little healthy little seeds that uh, are contributing to a little bit of health from those hamburger buns. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the locals don't eat it. Hmm. So a couple of my friends um, nearby actually grow their own sesame and they roast it and then they stone grind it with their stone grinder into tahini. So at the local market, I can buy organic, you know, freshly roasted, fresh tahini paste. And that is my go-to like sauce base for all the sauces that I make. Um, it's, yeah, it's amazing. So yeah, the people here, they mostly grow monocrop. Although my neighbors, um, they're super into health and wellness and into learning more. And they, I, I mentioned um, before we started recording that they brought some tofu. Now I don't eat a lot of soy, um, I don't, I mean, we can't even, there's not soybeans or there's not tofu at all here. Um, you can buy the soybeans, but there's no tofu here in Nicaragua necessarily. Um, definitely not on the island where I'm at, maybe in Managua, if you go to the capital, but, um, in very small, in small amounts, I think that tofu can be part of a healthy diet and theirs is grown organically because they grow it. They, they intuitively do like, um, they just, Every, every time a crop is finished, they plant something different. So intuitively, they're just planting 
different things over and over. And soybeans were like, okay, let's plant some soybeans. They did a black bean or not a black bean, but the red bean harvest on virgin land that was 100% organic. And my neighbor was so excited because he's like, no, it did not. Like, he's like, I didn't put anything on them. I just planted them and like left. I didn't put anything on them. And he was so excited because, you know, in this culture, um, there's so much chemical use in the agriculture here. People don't even realize it. Like the, some of the foreigners, some of the expats that live here, the foreigners, they're like, oh, wow. You know, we get to eat these like locally grown foods. It's like, no, actually they're not good. They're like full of chemicals. And then again, the workers, I mean, oh my goodness. Like there's no such thing as like, be careful with your skin. Be careful not to inhale the chemicals. There's no standards here. So typically the workers just walk in the field, spraying the chemicals all over their bodies, in their eyes and their face and their nose. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy. Um, they just don't know otherwise, you know, it's yeah. like, this is how it's been. This is how they do it. Um, and they don't know how to control the harvests, uh, organically if there's pests or whatnot, and they just use the chemicals. So a lot of education still, still needed, but the good news is that there are local community, uh, organizations of local Nicaraguans that are trying to change things like younger, younger people. And they're trying to show people that it's possible to grow organically grown food, organically sustainable food uh, without using the chemicals. Um, right. It just needs, you know, some different methods, some different preparations. And yes, maybe the price is a little bit higher, but at least for, you know, myself, I'm willing to pay a little bit higher cost to honor that little bit extra work that they're putting into um, because I don't want to eat the chemicals. Yeah. So number one, that's happening with the community. And then number two, here we're growing as much as food as we possibly can ourselves. Um, yeah, but it's no joke. It's, uh, it's not easy to grow or organic food if you don't have the right tools. And so again, that's why I'm so grateful for, you know, Francois for being here and uh, some of the other local gardeners that have come in to give their expertise and share their knowledge. Um, are the soybeans going to be for export or are they going to just sell them on the island or to the mainland? Yeah, they're not. I mean, it's such a small harvest that it's almost just for them and their family. And, you know, because I'm the neighbor, they bring it to me and then they might make um, like they made this um, tofu like chorizo type thing and I helped them um, flavor it a little more and then they're selling that and they're selling um, like homemade coconut milk at the market and they make this um, this bread that's uh, like coconut flour and plantain flour uh, gluten-free bread that's really amazing so yeah it's a it's a small anyways my neighbor specifically is a quite a small harvest so there's no okay. yeah they wouldn't be selling it Not really like yeah yeah it's mostly for family friends and you know the, the local market that's it mm -hmm. um I did just want to mention like one of our first episodes on vegan boss I did all about soy and just how like there is no reason like there's nothing wrong with it <laughs> like a lot of the fear around soy was just like you know there were a few case studies where someone was eating I don't know it was the equivalent of to like over 10 servings a day and so if you eat over 10 servings a day of like 
anything. A lot of foods, <laughs> like, yeah, it might not have the best results, but if you go to nutritionfacts.org, which is like Dr. Michael Greger's site, um, he did talk about how having like five servings a day or more was raising your um, IGF-1, your insulin growth, insulin-like growth factor, which we don't want to like raise that. So as long as you're having under five <laughs> servings a day, um, and I know a lot of people that have like a serving a day, like usually myself included. Um, yeah, there's just, there's no, there shouldn't be fear around soy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, if yeah. you take any food and you eat so much of it, there's going to be an imbalance somewhere. And yeah. so yeah. that's why I always just recommend like just get the biggest variety that you possibly can. And the more variety you get, the littler chance that you're going to eat the same thing every day. Um, yeah. And then there's, you know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't have issues if you're eating whole foods, plant-based whole foods and a big variety of them. I remember you told me once um, 40 different vegetables, fruits, vegetables a day or a week. Plant foods a week. Yeah. That's the goal. For wow. Sure. Yeah. And then yeah. I started thinking like, oh my gosh, do I eat that much here? Like <laughs> with, with this little bit, you know, more of a uh, variety or limit, sorry. Because you are on an island. So there must be like limited options, I guess, at the stores. Yeah. Yeah, okay. there is. There's limited options, but, um, you know, you just have to be a little bit more crafty, you know, like I said, the tahini. So it's like, okay, I can't just go and buy tahini. I have to wait till my friend harvests it toast it, roast it, grinds it. And then I buy like, okay, how much tahini am I going to need for the next couple of months? And I'll buy a couple, you know, big jars of it. Um, so it's just, it's a little bit, you have to think a little bit more. Um, you know, same thing. It's like, if there's, oh, there's an organic rice harvest. Okay. I want to buy like 10 pounds of it, you know? Um, because what happens here, the locals, they'll, they'll grow the food and then they don't have anywhere to hold it. So they ship it off the island and then the rest oh. of the year, they buy it back. And it's they don't buy theirs back. They buy whatever back. Yeah. They'll like grow it here, ship it off the island for it to be stored properly. And then when they need more rice, for example, or beans or whatever, they just buy it back from any any source, whatever that source may be. So okay. it's kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, yes, the community is trying to um, basically get it like a storage locker where we can store you know, 500 pounds of organic rice or wow. organic beans. Like how can we store this for the year and then, you know, have people buy it and, and uh, eat this organic food. So lots of things go into. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Like all the new foods and then having like such like the access to all the fresh stuff from your neighbors. Um, yeah. They grow, experience. they grow like basil and mint and uh, arugula and you know so we're getting like baby arugula and baby you know mint and basil and, and there's this thing called culantro here which isn't cilantro but it's it tastes and it smells and tastes exactly like cilantro but okay. it's like okay. a long skinny or like a long flat leaf that has like spikes on the edge of it and um yeah it's basically like the, a cousin of cilantro and it's tastes amazing um, but we don't get the like the Mexican style cilantro right. here. Okay. It grows more of in like a cooler climate. Yeah. So yeah, lots to learn. That's for sure. What a cool adventure. 
Um, I also want to ask you about um, your vegan pregnancy and how did yes. that go? And like, was it difficult? Did you have people in your family or doctors telling you they were concerned about certain nutrients? Do you want to like share a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so I've been, I've been eating this plant-based diet, a whole foods plant-based diet for 14, 15 years now. Um, and, you know, luckily because I'm, you know, an expert in the field, I didn't get a lot of sort of like backlash or whatever from my family or anything, because I think it's like, okay, like she knows what she's doing because she's done the research, but I could only imagine um, how it could be seen you know, it was like, oh, you know, you're not getting enough this or that or this or that. Um, so basically, when I ever came across that type of energy or that type of like questioning, I would basically just start out by saying, you know, I'm a plant-based nutrition educator and I've done so much research and it's super important to me that myself and my baby get all the nutrition that I need, et cetera, et cetera, and sort of begin the conversation like that so people know where I stand. Um yeah, but I mean, if if you don't have the knowledge, you know, what 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 do you do? And, um, you know, there are definitely more specific things that you need to look for when you're pregnant um, or when I was pregnant, I was, uh, you know, eating uh, more protein, um, but plant-based protein. So in the form of, you know, cooked beans, legumes, lentils, I love lentils, my favorite Um I eat a lot of lentils, um, you know, sprouts as well. Uh, and I know that sometimes they say don't eat sprouts. So again, that's like, okay, why is that? And I think there is like some cases of, you know, E. coli and whatnot with, with the sprouting. But um, I find that, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was like the alfalfa sprout because the alfalfa sprout like has like folds in the sprout and it can trap bacteria, but like some other sprouts are safer. Um, I don't know. What do you, what do you think about that? Um, I haven't heard that about like the different sprouts. I just know that like the raw sprouts are, can harbor bacteria that causes yeah. food illnesses. So it, that's why it's a risk. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I still, I mean, I definitely still ate like lentil sprouts. Um, but I was cautious of that and like aware of that fact. So I didn't like overdo it. Um, broccoli sprouts, I still ate, um, but yeah, you know, I didn't, uh, I was quite nauseous uh, a lot throughout the pregnancy. Um, but, you know, it, I would eat greens, I mean, green smoothies, green smoothies, fruit, you know, being in Nicaragua, like pineapple was my best friend, like fresh papaya, watermelon, these things. Um, but yeah, you know, being nauseous, it's like, how could I still get the nutrition that my body needed? um when I was nauseous and it basically came down to like a smoothie with all the stuff that I needed in it and then it's like if I at least could drink that smoothie and get that smoothie down or like like a big huge glass of it or like have like five glasses of it over the period of the day then I felt like I could get the the nutrition that I needed um when I did my blood work it was it was actually all normal um until I was requested to take a iron supplement, okay. but okay. it wasn't because I was low in iron. It was because I was on the low side of normal. 
So it was like, I still, I was still actually getting, but you know, my midwife wanted to be more on the cautious side. So they recommended that I do a, um, iron supplement. And then I, so I did the, is it the, uh, floor of or something like that, but it's an all natural. Yeah. It's a liquid, a liquid iron supplement that comes from a berry. I can't remember. Yeah. Um, but anyways, it was, I did take that. Um, yeah. You know, I'm not, I'm not one to fight the the science. If it's like the, the, the blood is saying that you probably should take a supplement, that's when supplements are important, right? It's like, we shouldn't rely upon supplements every day to get our nutrition. But if our body is signaling, signaling a deficiency, that's when the supplement, that's why the supplement's there. And so um, I also took a whole food prenatal vitamin. Um, so that would be like, just with, you know, basically powdered and ground whole foods. Um, and I didn't take it every single day, um, but I took it often enough. So probably five times a week. Um, I also took marine phytoplankton. I brought them to show, but you just have the audio. <laughs> so yeah, I took marine phytoplankton um, and like uh, algaes, like spirulina, chlorella things like that throughout the pregnancy as well. Um, and then another thing was water. So, you know, really important to like stay hydrated, um, especially because I was here most of my pregnancy in Nicaragua and, you know, sweating all the time. So like ice water was my best friend, you know, obviously not around meal times too, too much, but I definitely, yeah. Like right now I have in my water, I have marine phytoplankton as far as not getting too crazy, you know, like my not letting my emotions take over. Cause obviously, you know, well, I, I did have an emotional pregnancy as well as a nauseous pregnancy. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, it definitely, you know, stayed plant-based this for me, animals aren't, aren't food. So it's like, I'll never eat them because they're just not food for me. Um, and yeah, I raised my little girl vegan as well. So I started giving food to her, um, just very small amounts, like tasting like single foods around the age of six months or well, between six and seven months. Uh, okay. she was very simple foods like avocado and then maybe like avocado with spirulina. And then it was, she didn't really like the avocado. So I tried like coconut yogurt with that, you know, probiotics, but just like a little bit. And then with spirulina, and then I would try, uh, well, she loves banana. She still loves banana. Um, you know, steamed yams. Um, yeah. And so just single foods, introducing those and again, trying to get a, a variety. And then obviously I'm still, I'm still nursing. She'll be, uh, she'll be one year old in a month. So she's 11 months. And yeah, I still nurse um, at least like 50% of her calories are coming from breast milk still. Um, but yeah, she's eating like chia pudding and, uh, even like the lentil soup that I make, she'll eat, but I'll give it to her before I add like all the salt and the, the spices and stuff. So it's like a, you know, like a hydrating soft lentils, you know, maybe there's vegetables in there as well, like carrots. And um, I also get the uh, vegetable powders from organicmatters.com. So like they have carrot powder, beetroot, kale, spinach. And I'll add those powders to like, for example, this morning, um, I had some organic oats. So it was like organic oats with like a scoop of like organic carrot powder and just like mix that up. 
and feed her that. So, um, yeah, so she's trying lots of flavors, you know, sometimes Chris will give her like, here's a lime. It's like, ah, so she'll like, kind of like, ah, chew on this yeah. lime, you know, an experience, like a new flavor. Or even like, if I make like a something with garlic in it, I'll be like, hey, you want to try this like, you know, minuscule little piece of garlic and see what happens, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, but you know, I'm not, I'm not an expert in, in like plant-based nutrition for children or babies. Um, I've gathered as much knowledge as I can doing the research for myself, but, you know, I definitely have more to learn in that field and being a mom now, it's like, okay, now it's time. It's time to learn. Yeah. So I'm definitely going to raise her vegan. And you asked, you know, what am I going to do in the future if she, you know, requests animal products? I don't know. I mean, I don't know, but I think the first thing number one is for her to know the truth uh i don't want to scare her by any means or to put any fear in her mind of, at all um so i'm not like gonna show her like this is what animals happen to animals like absolutely not i'm not in i'm not i don't want to like traumatize her um but there's this book that i supported on kickstarter and it was called not my mommy's milk and it was okay. like oh, cow milk is for baby cows rat milk is for baby rats cat milk is for baby cats, you know, mama milk is for baby, you know, and it was like, yeah, this is the truth, you know, so when she, if she sees otherwise, like, oh, we're drinking cow's milk, like, mm. why, like, that's strange, isn't that for baby cows, it's like, yes, well, that's the truth, it is for baby cows, you know, maybe we shouldn't be drinking it, so, yeah, I don't know, I don't know how, you know, approach it, um, definitely with love, um, mm but I want her to know the truth without being afraid of the truth. Um, you know, my partner, he's not vegan, although he loves all the food I make, of course, and would be happy and content eating a vegan diet, but he's also a little bit of an opportunist. So, you know, if, if food is made for him, you know, he'll eat it. Uh, he doesn't oppose that. So that's kind of where he, where he is, but he also knows how important it is to me to raise our child uh, plant-based only. Um, he's fully on board with that and supports that hundred percent again, because he knows that I have the knowledge or at least I'm learning the knowledge. Um, and that's, it's super important to me. That's like so important to me that she gets all the vitamins and minerals that she needs, that she is getting the food that's going to make her thrive. Um, yeah. And then I do a, you know, a mix of cooked and raw. Uh, obviously she's, she's only got six teeth right now, so she can't like chew raw foods, yeah. but that, yeah. that's when I, I give her a green smoothie. So she gets a green smoothie in the morning. Um, it's a lot more simple than my green smoothie. My green smoothie might have like maca in it or, you know, like goji berry powder or, you know, more superfoods, whereas hers would be more simple. Um, we have climbing spinach here. So it could be something like spinach, banana, and chia seeds, right? right. No sugars, no, um, I don't, I don't feed her. Like I don't give her like dates or raisins or anything like that. Um, not yet anyways. Uh, and if I was to, I'd probably put like two raisins or three raisins in the smoothie. Um, yeah. So, um, I have given her some wheat, like some wheat breads, um, it was the bread that I was speaking of my neighbor makes. Um, so I just know that it's so good because it has no sugar in it. Um, it's mostly coconut flour, plantain flour, but I think I'm pretty sure they do use a bit of wheat flour. Um, you know, so 
I do actually recommend a gluten-free diet uh, for sure. Um, but I also think that if you're, if you eat gluten once in a while, it's not gonna, well, I mean, some people, it will cause a big problem, but a lot of other people can digest it. So yes, I do advocate a gluten-free diet, but I also feel like there's room for like a little bit of wiggle room just so, just to not restrict people or feel like they're, um, yeah, having to cut out something. I don't know. And now I'm starting to chalk myself into a corner because I'm like, why? Like, why don't I do my baby yeah. eat? Like, it's it's mostly like okay to not worry so so much and be super crazy strict and crazy about it. Like, I don't want to be like the crazy mom that's like, no, she can't eat that. Oh no, only this. You know, it's like ideally that's my goal. But then, you know, if somebody gives her, you know, I tell everybody like she doesn't eat animal products, she doesn't eat cheese. Like, don't give her like that thing don't give her any sweets don't give her cookies don't give her cake don't give her candy but like if inevitably it happens I'm not gonna I can't freak out because that's just yeah. that'll cause more problems I think yeah totally. yeah I would think it's interesting that in our society like the default diet for children is non-vegan and then vegan parents are criticized saying like oh why would you like do that to your child shouldn't they have the freedom to choose themselves it's like well the same thing could be said with what you're doing like how about you're giving them eggs you're giving them meat do they know that they're eating a baby and do they know that they're eating a cow yeah I know I agree 100% I agree 100% with you I met a little a family, traveling family, and this and the baby was eight months old, and the mom was feeding the baby hamburger, and I felt mm. the same thing. I was like, that baby didn't choose that hamburger, yeah. and would that baby choose to eat that hamburger if it knew that that cow that that baby likes had to be killed and ground for you to eat it? You know, so yeah, it's it's interesting how it can mm-hmm. be looked at the other way. Yeah, mm. I was. Um like 10 years old. Well, it was just before my 11th birthday when I decided to stop eating animals and go vegetarian. And I like, when I think about it now, like if I would have just been raised like vegetarian or vegan, and then at that point been like, oh, do I want to start eating animal products? Like I know they come from animals. I love animals. Like, is that a decision I want to make? Whereas Mm -hmm. instead you're like just fed it without being told like what it is, no awareness. And then you get to a certain age and you're like, oh, this is what I'm eating. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I I actually think it's kind of, I don't know. You should probably feed, I shouldn't do anything. Everybody does their own thing and she makes their own choice, but yeah. yeah. And like, I mean, people are just doing what, how, like what they see society doing and they probably don't know there's like another way to do it because it's mm-hmm. just so ingrained in our, in us from, yeah. well, when we're babies. Exactly. <laughs> like, it's just normal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even Chris, he would say, you know, let's see, he's like, if I never grew up eating meat, I probably mm-hmm. would be a vegan. But because mm-hmm. I grew up eating meat, I have these associations with eating meat and being in a happy place, like Christmas time. We get ham. So like one of Chris's favorite meats is ham because it was always served like during Christmas time. So it was like this happy, exciting family gathering, you know, presents. Everybody's like, like best time of year. And then there's a ham. 
like it makes sense and he's like aware of that he's like oh i like ham not because of the ham necessarily but because of the association that i have with the ham so it's Mm -hmm. like oh yeah like i wonder if that if that's true you know um you know but there are people out there that say like i love meat i could not live without it you know and sure sure i mean everybody gets their own choice and everybody you know that's that's something that's really amazing about being a human being is that we do get to make our own choices but it's like, where are those choices coming from? Are they coming from an uh, ignorance or are they coming from um, an educated point of view of like, okay, I know everything about this. I know the whole story and I still choose. And I guess if my daughter, if she comes to the point where she's like, I know animals have to die for me to eat them. I know that they cause, you know, health conditions if they're overeaten. Um, I see how they're contributing to like the degradation of the environment and I still choose this then I feel like I failed as a mom no (laughs) no but like you know what I mean like I feel like if I can teach her those things then I feel confident that she won't choose that and if she does choose it and she still knows all that then that's okay because I mean she has she has to she has she has her own choice and I want her to feel empowered to make her own choices um when when she knows the truth you know if she's just like i want that because it's like okay well well why and i mean i don't know we will cross that bridge when we come to it but i feel like as if she if she knows the truth and then she still decides then that's her exercising her right to make her own choices and i have to be okay with that um one of the like million tabs i have open on my computer (laughs) is um an article about someone who was raised vegan i think it's called like born vegan or something so i haven't read it yet but i'll send it to you okay yeah i think it'll be an interesting read yeah yeah and i mean just even vegan like it doesn't that doesn't mean it's healthy you know this person Mm -hmm. you know this vegan person could be eating like just example as the bread like yeah I, told, I was like, Chris, don't give her so much bread. Like, okay, it's okay if you, like, I'm trying to be flexible here, but don't, like, I don't want my kid just eating bread, 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 bread all the time, you know? Like, that's not healthy. Okay, oh, so it's There's nothing wrong with, like, good ingredient bread, though. Yes, exactly, yeah. exactly. And that's what this is, you know? And that's, yeah. and that's what this is. And we have here, you know, even the choices in the market, like I mentioned before, there's, like, these oats they can get but they're not organic oats. So I actually get the organic oats that come from Managua, which okay. are imported. Yeah. Ah, so it's again, it's like, okay, what's the, you know, what's the greater evil? Like is mm-hmm. the greater evil in using the organic imported oats or the locally grown chemically laden oats? Right. So it's like, which one is better? Um, yeah. So essentially what I do is I get the organic oats for my daughter and we get the regular oats for us at the moment. Um, yeah because that's the options that we have. And, you know, I try to, I try to do my best. That's another thing. It's like, I don't have all the answers and I'm not going to make all the right decisions all the time. So how can I make the best decisions for me, for my family, for my child with the information that I have and with the options that I have available to me. And then that, that constant education piece, it's like constantly learning, constantly you know, being a student of life, like saying, okay, I, I don't know everything, but I, I want to, so I'm open, you know? And another thing, it's like when someone shows me like, hey, like this thing, it's not that bad. It's like, oh, okay. 
like, let's be open to like learning about that. And let's be open to like going deeper, you know? Um, I'm, I think, you know, Vasanto Molina and Brenda Davis, two yeah. incredible dietitians, award-winning authors, um, plant-based advocates, and their research has changed a lot over the years because they keep updating themselves with what they what they know. And I mean, Vasanto's like 79 or something like that years old. And she's like, she's on top of current science nutrition, even though they wrote their first books like 20 years ago. So I think that's super admirable. And like, that's what I hope to do. It's like, yes, I have the knowledge right now that this is what it is, but but it, it changes. And so when you can learn and keep on top of the change and like admit like, oh, by the way, hey, I used to say that thing. That's not what, that's not what science is showing anymore. And so I want to like retract that and like go with this one instead. And I think that's really like um, responsible in sort of this field is to stay on top of it. And that's why I'm like, I need to go back to school some more because it's changing too fast. I can't keep on top of it. But. Oh, I think that is super important. And I know like for myself, so many things that I used to like believe and practice in my own life, I'm like, oh, okay, the evidence isn't matching up with that anymore. So we have to be adaptable and open to like learning new information when we have it. And if someone isn't doing that, like we need to run the other way. <laughs> like yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, super important. Yeah, there's a lot of like doctors nowadays that are advocating a plant-based diet, and um, they're quite well spoken, well researched, well read. You know, they've got the the studies to back it up. Um, you know, you mentioned Dr. Greger, uh, Dr. Lyle, Dr. Esselstyn. Um, oh, just the list goes on. I mean, there's so many of them, and you know, they've done the work and done the research, and essentially they're saying all like they're saying the same thing. Most of them, most of them all agree with each other, and they all kind of say the a version of the same and they have their own unique spin on it. Like um, Dr. Furman with his G-bombs, you know, greens, beans, onions, mushrooms, berries, seeds, like yeah. eat those yeah. every day. Oh, that's great. Okay. I agree with all that. And then Dr. Greger has this like daily dozen, which also includes all those things that yeah. Dr. Furman yeah. says, but just in his own way, you know? And so I've actually created what I call the Pacha Vega pyramid using the oh. old like pyramid style. Yeah which takes into consideration like those two doctors and their research and sort of my research and how I eat and stuff. And yeah. yeah, it's like, you know, big base of dark leafy greens with some vegetables and fruits. And, you know, it go as it goes up the pyramid, it gets littler and littler and, you know, smaller amounts. And there's like, there's sprouts in there and there's fermentation and like fermented foods in there. But um, yeah, just that variety, like getting the variety of foods is so important. And that's, I think the biggest key, the biggest takeaway is just make sure you get a variety of plant foods and you inevitably are going to get all the nutrition that your body needs, except for a few supplements here and there. And, you know, we've chat, uh, chatted about like vitamin D and uh, vitamin B12 yeah. Um, yeah. and how it's not because it's a vegan problem. It's just like a food problem. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And so there, again, there's no there's no problem taking a supplement to enhance, you know, that nutrition that you need, that you need to enhance, yeah. you know, like even yeah. the meat eaters are low in B12. 
mm-hmm. sometimes. So it's not a vegan problem. It's just like our food is low in B12 now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm wondering like throughout all of your years of like living this lifestyle and doing what you do, what have you found like the best ways to inspire others to try plant-based diet or even to go vegan? Yeah, that is a great question. And I think that's like the continual, um, the continual seeking out of, you know, finding that answer. Um, and number one is like, show them, give them the tastiest food they've ever eaten. Like number one, it's like, like, don't even talk to me, just open your mouth and try this, you know, it's like, and then we can talk. And when you discover like, oh my God. And when you're, when you're like, this is the most delicious thing that I've ever eaten. Like my dad the other day, um, a couple months ago, I spent some time, uh, in my kitchen, in his kitchen filming, um, for my online course and lucky him, he got to eat the, you know, the food that I had made and prepared in the the videos. And it was a layered lasagna that I made a raw lasagna with zucchini noodle, um, some like Brazil nut ricotta type cheese with, uh, a pesto with a zesty marinara sauce and then and like this basil oil and I gave it to him and he said Danielle I think this is the most delicious thing I've ever eaten in my entire life I was like are you serious like I want to get that on film like did you did you really say like in your entire life really like you're 65 like really he's like yes this is the most delicious thing and it's like okay guess what it was raw it was vegan you know it was like just vegetables and you know, delicious flavors. And so when you can show someone that this food is so delicious and satisfying, then it's so easy because like, that's really what people want. They want tasty food. Um, All the, all the foods that are bad for us, why do we eat them? Because they're tasty. You know, they've got the, they're hitting the pleasure centers of our brain. You know, the, that dopamine, like the the fried foods, the, the calorie dense foods, the sugary foods, like they're tasty to our brain, you know? So, so why do we eat them? Because of that. So if you can give them tasty food, that's healthy, like you've already won. Um, another way, you know, go in with the dessert first because <laughs> raw desserts are amazing. You know, nobody's ever said gross eating a, you know, lemon vegan cashew cheesecake, unless of course they're allergic to cashews and then maybe they'll have one with sunflower seeds. But um yeah. Um, another thing is staying positive and talking about the, like the adding on and not the getting rid of. Um, also, like I find that people are can be very sensitive when it comes to eating habits because it's so much more, like I mentioned earlier, it's so much more than an eating habit. It's like a, it's a memory response. It's a, a association with experience. Like like a corn dog, like really, like are corn dogs actually delicious? No, they're not. It's it's because you went to the fair and you had a corn dog, or you went to the baseball game, which was really exciting, and you had a corn dog, and that's why you like it. Um, and and maybe it's the spices, and the flavorings in the corn dog that makes you like it. It's not the the animal products in it, right? So yeah, so basically, giving them the healthy food, making it taste delicious and um staying positive staying like add on 
because the more that you add, you know, and the better people feel, and then maybe the other stuff starts to like get less and less and less. And if they can make that association between, oh, I feel better when I eat this way and I feel worse when I eat this way, it tends to stick more, you know? And I even, I remember, remember Chris, he would say, um, what was it like a couple years ago? He's like, I, um, he had like a pork stew or something. And he's like, Danielle, I felt horrible after, but he, he, and then he's like, but I never remembered feeling horrible before. Right. So it's like, you were eating so clean and so good for so long. And then you ate this like pork stew and then you didn't feel good, you know? And, and why was that? Like, he definitely overate it. You know, he probably didn't chew enough, which is a tendency. Um, but yeah, putting those two associations together and sort of reminding yourself that maybe it's not the food, maybe it's the experience and starting to shift your mind away from, oh, it's the steak that I like, or no, it's actually the barbecue where we all got together and had fun together. And, you know, and it was like family was together, um, you know, and then I could have had the exact same fun experience with some grilled zucchini or yeah. corn yeah. on the cob, you know? Um, yeah, so that's kind of my my way. Um, and yeah, just like being the advocate of the lifestyle by living it as well, obviously. So I often bring food to people. Um, I'll make like a, if I do like a demo video for social media or something, um, I always share it. Like I almost never save it for myself. I'll bring it to the market, share with people. I'll give it to my neighbors. Um, but I want to give it to people that are a little bit skeptical or they just don't know. And then at that point, as they're eating it, say, yeah, hey, did you know that this is also like fully, you know, dairy-free, gluten-free, sugar-free and actually healthy? And then maybe like drop a few like nutrition facts like, oh, this can like, you know, enhance the, the serotonin in your you know, in your system and like that actually will make you feel good. My baby just woke up and she's just cooing. She didn't even cry. You know what else I've noticed? Like, I'm just going to say it's related, even though I don't know it's related, but her, her temperament, like she is the calmest baby. I have never lost a night of sleep. I've slept except for the first, like the first three days, four days, the midwife yeah. told me I had to wake her up to feed her every three hours. But other than that, she would sleep through the night. She still, still sleeps through the night. So I've never lost a night of sleep. Um, she is super chill. She never freaks out. She's like loves all people and has just like the most amazing personality. Um, can I attribute to that to my diet? Eh, I don't know, but I'm going to say yes. <laughs> you know, you know, she's. She obviously, she eats very healthy. I eat very healthy. So she's getting all the nutrition through my breast milk. Um, yeah. And it's, it's been amazing. Like I take her everywhere I go. So, you know, if we go on an adventure, she's with me. Um, yeah. And she's just, she's just amazing. That's so great. She's adorable. I know. Yes. I feel so lucky. You know, and that's another thing. I mean, the fertility journey, I, I can talk about that too. Like, um, you know, I'm, I was 38 when I got pregnant and 30, 39 when I had her and um, she is, yeah, a product of, I mean, a healthy, a healthy, healthy fertility as well, because 
you know, being a little bit older, there was always from like the midwife and from the doctors, there was always that, um, you know, like, oh, you're a geriatric mother. That's what they call, that's what they call us, geriatric yeah. mother. But like, I never felt that way. And yeah. there was all this concern that it was going to take me a long time to get pregnant, et cetera, et cetera. And it was on the fifth try. So, you know, it wasn't the first try, but it was the fifth try. But how did this happen? Well, when we decided that we wanted to have a baby, Chris went on a vegan diet, mostly raw, uh, super nutrient dense. Like uh, we focused on uh, fertility foods that help promote fertility, um, avocado, sweet potato. Um, you know, he took pine pollen as a supplement to help with his testosterone. Um yeah. And literally like two doctors and even the specialist said, there's no way, there's no way. Like, and they, they were like, Danielle, you need to do testing too, to make sure that there's nothing wrong with you as well. So they're like, when you get your period, you can call us and we'll do the tests. And I never got my period again. I still haven't had it two and a half years later. <laughs> yeah. Right. Nice. Two years, I should say. Yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah. And I'm, I'm certain it was because of the diet. I mean, yeah. and because especially him, his diet radically shifted. Mine did not. Um, mine, it was, you know, basically, yeah, it was basically the same stuff that I was eating all the time with a focus on some of, you know, those more fertility foods, but, um, but yeah, his, I was like, okay, like if we want to have a baby, let's have a healthy baby. So let's, right. Right. Let's, you know, let's focus on um, these foods, let's focus on eating these foods. Okay. You're going to eat this. I'm going to make this for you. We're going to do this. Um, you know, taking the pine pollen as a supplement and yeah, five months later. And, and then, yeah, this beautiful, incredible baby. That's like a dream baby, really. Yes. Well, that's really great to hear that like everything worked out and yeah, I do believe like, you know, healthy diet, definitely like one of the foundations we need, to be able to do that so mm -hmm. yeah and I mean like a whole food plant-based diet will balance out your hormones and that's essentially the number one thing that we need to keep in check for health a healthy fertility so I'm actually reading right now your body in balance it's the new science of food hormones and health and it's by Dr. Neil Barnard and oh. um yeah. And I mean, this is like, I'm reading it now, but like, I wish I would have read it before because it, it talks about basically using the idea of your hormones to balance your whole entire body. So all systems in the body, the cardiovascular system, your endocrine system, um, you know, the healthy sex hormones that help with fertility, pregnancy, et cetera. And um, it's amazing. And of course, like, what is he advocating, but a plant-based diet? you know, with focus on a variety of whole plant-based foods. So it's just another way to look at this lifestyle, um, you know, depending on what you're, what you're aiming for. If you're aiming to become, you need to get pregnant, uh, you know, and for some people it's a long journey and it's, it's a, it can be a, a stressful, a painful journey. And, um, you know, I just, I encourage people out there to, to do some, do some research um, and, you know, maybe even read this book. I know that you provide the most amazing courses too, as well, um, through your, through what you're doing with Synergy Nutrition and, you know, definitely like becoming educated is the most empowering thing that you could do for your health, especially during um, the time where if you are trying to have a baby. 
Yeah, I didn't even plan on, you know, getting into the whole like vegan nutrition for pregnancy thing, but I just get kept getting client after client after client. And so I was like researching every time and then like spent like one of the winters I spent in Mexico. I spent like five, six months putting together my healthy mom, healthy baby pregnancy guide. So it's yeah, yeah great to have that information, especially if you're getting um, pressured from family or doctors saying that you can't do it. Yes, because if you have the science right in front of you and you can prove it with the, with the science, I mean, science can't be refuted. So mm-hmm. there's absolutely, yeah. And when you come sort of like confident that you're educated and that you have the knowledge, then you get a lot less pressure because honestly, even some doctors don't know as much as I do about nutrition. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's because they're simply not trained. And so if yeah. you can go and if you can show this and say, you know, I've done the research that here are all the other doctors that are saying that this is safe. Mm-hmm. Um, they're much more open to, you know, hearing you out and maybe even changing their mind. You never know. Um, doctors definitely need science. They, they, that's who they are. Like that's, that's what their whole education is based off of. Um, so if you can show them the science behind it, then I feel like they're much more open. Yeah. One of my favorite books, um, that came out in like the spring of 2020, it's called fiber fueled. And it's by a plant-based gastroenterologist. I highly recommend it. But in that book, I think he says something like it takes 17 years on average for research to be finally put into practice in mainstream medicine. <laughs> wow. So, yeah. Wow. So Which we can means- have, yeah. Like, yeah, doctors, I mean, they have to know so much. They have to know about like drug interactions, like everything like that. So of course, they're not always going to be able to stay up to date on like all of the nutrition research. But um, yeah, I just thought it was like interesting that he said that. And I don't know, it was something that I had heard before. um, And it definitely makes sense because even when I was going through the nutrition program which was like the same all the same courses as the dietitians it's um at UBC here in Vancouver it was a lot of the information was out of date and so yeah number one get it in get new information evidence-based research into practice in the doctor's office is one thing but like also getting it into the curriculum at like the top universities is all there's also a late yeah wow that sounds a new job for me (laughs) (laughs) for you yeah no you're absolutely right you know um that makes complete sense you know it's like it's like the tech industry right you don't you're not going to go for a four-year degree for some tech thing because it's like by the time you're graduated it's going to be like new it's going to be something completely different So it's the same, you know, we're studying the body constantly. We're studying how our food affects us constantly. So of course we're going to come up with new information. You know, even this, just the concept of like phytonutrients, like we only know what, like a thousand and there's what, like 10,000. I don't know the exact numbers, but it's the same thing. It's like, we still haven't really even scratched the surface of nutrition knowledge and nutrition science. Um, And a lot of it is based off of old 
old concepts that are totally invalid. Like the idea that you need to eat plant or that you need to eat animals for your protein. I mean, that's just based on ignorance. That's just based on like, oh, why, why? Like protein comes from plants. You know, why would we need to eat the animals? They're the middleman. Why don't we just eat the plants, right? So pretty interesting. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, was there anything else that you wanted to, um, like any last tips for people who are interested in going plant-based or going through a pregnancy as a vegan? Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I think the number one thing is just like, be confident in your choice. Um, and yeah, if you can, if you get some backlash find out what that is exactly. And then, and then like, if it's specific, then do the research that can, that can find out. So if they're saying, oh, you're not going to get enough iron, then go look at that, say vegan, you know, plant-based vegan pregnancy iron, you know, find that information, uh, find multiple sources. Um, you know, people that are open-minded will be willing to read the new research. Um, but also if they're not willing and they're going to stick to their old mentality. Uh, that's okay as well. But just to, to trust yourself that you're doing the right thing. And, you know, make sure that you get a variety. Don't, don't eat too much of one thing of anything, because that is never a good thing. Um, even the most delicious, nutritious, best foods in the world, if you eat too much of them, it's not going to be a good thing. It's, you're going to be over over, you know, in some type of mineral or nutrient, um, and imbalanced. Um, so yeah, so trust, get a variety, um, of fruits and vegetables, nuts, seeds, legumes, you know, grains, whole grains, and, uh, keep trying to do some research, you know, uh, there's so many, there's so much, it's like, there's books, there's podcasts like this one, there's, um, YouTube videos, there's, you know, cooking shows. So like, you know, coupling the nutrition knowledge with like, like making some fun, making some new fun foods, you know, or like learning a new skill in the kitchen. Um, Yeah. So all of those things I think are, are really important. Uh, Reach out to people that have had the experience and, you know, have the conversation and follow your gut, follow your heart. um, Because if you know that this is right, it is. Well, thanks so much for like your time and being here with me today. It was really interesting getting to hear all of the details about your vegan story and Pacha Vega and what you're up to now. Thank you so much. I, I really appreciate it. I'm always like honored to, you know, be a part of, of podcasts or, you know, interviews where I can share my knowledge and that, um, you know, do the thing that I love to do most, which is to teach people and that's like my gift and I am ever grateful for the opportunity to share my gift thank you so much for listening to vegan boss radio be sure to hit subscribe and you can find us on instagram at vegan underscore boss you can find shauna's information at synergynutrition.ca and on instagram at synergy underscore nutrition you can find my information at meganmediadesign.com and on instagram at meganmediadesign If you have any questions for us or are interested in any sponsorship opportunities, you can contact us at veganbossradio at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Thank you again for listening and being part of our Vegan Boss community.